All right, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 again. We started in the into the idea and the breakdown of love and what it is not primarily. Uh, we are going to start in verse 8 um, and read through the end of the chapter. He says, uh, or actually verse 7. He says, um, It bears all things, it believes all things, love hopes all things, it endures all things, and love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, and that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, and the greatest of these is love. Uh, we want to back up and look at the um, uh, the four things there, we and uh, kind of finish out the discussion of what love does. It uh, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Let's describe or define all things before we get into that. We kind of need to know what that means, don't we? What does all things mean? Encompassing. Okay, it's all encompassing. Is it literal? Okay. Okay. Does it literally mean all things? Love believes all things and hopes all things? Or? I think it, you should look for the good okay. in everything. Okay, so we can't, as, and we'll look at this as we go through each one, we can't literally understand this as all things. Um, it, with each one we'll see that this is an idiom, much like the word all is used throughout the, the scriptures to refer to many. Right. Uh, the love of money is not the root of all evil. Right. Uh, so it means much or a lot or most even. Uh, so uh, that's, that's an idiom that, that they use. So let's look at love bears all things. What does that mean? What does it mean to bear? To carry? Support, right? To hold or build up? Um, to bear up under something? So, do we bear all things? What do you put up with? Is there anything you're not supposed to put up with? What shouldn't I put up with? Okay. And so I think that goes to what we're saying. The things of God, anything that falls within a moral realm, you know, or positively impacts that, should be put up with. So, So what are we talking about then? The things that he expects us to put up with or to carry. 
when when a fellow Christian has an honest failure, you know, I mean, there's certain things that you just can't tolerate, you know, mm-hmm. when when the intent of it is from evil. Mm-hmm. And even if it's not from from you don't put up with the the wrongness, right? But but we can bear with a person's weakness. Um, and so, um, I think this goes back to his section on the weaker brother. Yes. Yeah. That, absolutely. You know. Yeah. This is kind of it, it all ties into unity. Uh, we, if we're going to to move people forward, we're going to have to put up with something. Some people have very short, you know, patience. With people, uh, and so, so he has to encourage us. Right? Anything legitimate, you put up with. If it's not legitimate, you don't put up with it. Um, so, it bears all things. It believes all things. Well, love must be gullible then. <laughs> well, it obviously doesn't mean I believe everything you tell me. What does this mean then? Love believes all things. Describe. It allows me to accept or believe or treat because it can encourage, okay, all right. All right, all right. I, so, so I don't think this is about believing facts necessarily. That that might um, that might be involved in here. I mean, if, if we're talking about the scriptures, I mean, you're supposed to believe everything. <laughs> I don't know as though that's what that's talking about because remember the the concept is unity, and, and it's it's about believing the best. I believe believing the best in other people to try to. Now you can't always. You the Bible says be wise as. Uh, Serpents and harmless as doves. You know, you, there, there's the the harmless as, as doves part here. Is you do have to be, you know, wary of of you, you can't be gullible. He's not asking us to be gullible. He's asking us to try to believe in people. Um, we we don't have a hard time criticizing people or being suspicious of people. That kind of I think is second nature to us. Uh, there are some people that are just naturally inclined to believe anything they're told. That's that's why scammers are a thing, right? because they know so many, so many people are are going to hang up on them. But they just got to get that one or two a day, and and they can make a living at it. Well, uh, he he asks us to to believe in people, uh, a, a generally trusting spirit. Oh, negativity and cynicism will destroy a church if that's the general character of it. Love hopes all things. How does love hope all things? I, literally, I, I can't literally hope all things because some things I would, would be contradictory, wouldn't they? I hope that happens. 
As I, I think of these, these, you know, uh, uh, who is it? The uh, uh, there was a Super Bowl recently where there was a mother and she had a son on each team. Like, well, you can't hope both of them win. <laughs> it's contradictory. You can hope they tie and call it. That's about as best you can do. But I don't think that happens too often. So. Uh, uh, Okay. The outcome to be good. Okay. And specifically, how does that relate to other people? Hope the best for them. Okay. And all that they want to do. Okay. Try to see the best in them. All right. Now, it kind of goes along with the last one. And, and it's not just about their motives currently, but this kind of is... With, with a view to their future as Christians specifically, not just, hey, I'm doing this project at my house. Yeah, hey, I hope you do good. I mean, there's that element of it, but, but it's, um, it, it, it really is aimed at Christian fellowship and seeing where people, and remember, this is a church with flaws, and, 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 and he's just gone through this big section of all their flaws. He's just kind of laid it out there. But love hopes that and tries to see it doesn't say i don't think this church is ever going to get it you know this this poor corinthian church i just don't think they're ever gonna love hopes i have an honest hope this is why i'm writing this book to you you what a congregation i mean this is the the congregation you look at in the bible and say don't do what they did right and and yet he wrote the book why he wrote it because he hoped that they could fix it and correct it. You hope the best. I've got to have a positive outlook on, on their future. When, when you, I mean, a lot of whether or not you succeed is the, um, the picture that you put before yourself, you know, that this is who you are and your identity is as yourself and um, when you put a negative picture in front of you that tends to be something that you're going to live up to that negative picture or positive depending on what and when someone hopes all things in you then mm. you tend to yeah it's, it's, it means a lot more so one aspect is that self-determination I'm, I hope I can accomplish this but then to take it to the next level I think probably there has been a point in all of our lives, and you could probably think of an event, where you accomplished something that you might not have really thought of as capable because someone said you can accomplish that. And it was like, wow, if so-and-so believes I can, I must be able to do that. You know, I, I, you, know you can probably think of that. And, and that is important for the church to... to with respect to each other, you know, point out people's, you've done this before. Oh, yeah, I guess I didn't really think of that. Uh, and that, that can kind of confirm a person's, you know, self-talk like you're talking about. There is no congregation that doesn't have flaws. Oh, no, no. It's, I, last time I checked, they're all made of people, so... And love uh, endures all things. 
kind of goes along, I think, with bears all things, but what do you think of when you think of enduring all things? The NIV says perseveres. Okay. Yep. You keep trying. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> I think it, it might be more referencing situations than just um, other people, but I think it can be other situations, situations as, as other people are involved, too. Um, that I think there's an encouragement for people to get through problems. You, you, uh, when people see you enduring, it, it's a little bit easier for you to endure. Um, so, and then there's encouragement that comes. Um, and sometimes it's like we say, we go back to the beginning. It's similar to, to bearing all things. It's, I'm being negatively impacted. Sometimes we are negatively impacted by other people in the congregation, because like Brady pointed out, we're, we're humans. We're, this is there's no perfect church. It's very discouraging <clears throat> when people start leaving. Yes. Then you've got you know yep. a smaller group, yeah. another smaller group. Yep. But if people stay and persevere, then that's encouraging. Mm-hmm. All of you are working together. Yes, I agree. Yeah. So we're we he concludes with a statement. Uh, this section that's really a transition statement. He says, love never fails. What does that mean? Okay, it doesn't give up. Okay. I think there's a truth to that. What does the word fail mean here? That's going to be an important word. Okay, that's, so that's where our mind goes because of our English. So let's, let's read, uh, let's, let's look at the next section here. We're going to look at verse 8. Uh, Beginning, he says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they are, will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Uh, for we know in part and prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. So the fail here is not about ability. It, it's not like success failure. This is ending. This is a time limit, is what he's talking about. And this is the transition. Uh, so I actually want to jump to the bottom because this is what his takeaway from this section. We're going to come back up and then work through it and see how he gets there. But <clears throat> verse 13 says, Now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So another phrase that we want to look at is the greatest of these. What does this mean, the greatest of these? Or what does greatest mean? And how? How is it greater? All right. That, this is important that he's talking about time, and that's why it's important we read verse 8 first and, and see that the, the context of verse 8 through 13 is time. It's not capacity. So faith and hope, uh, what, is the, what is the opposite of faith and hope? What's that? So the, it's actually 
seeing it and having it. Okay. A lot of people believe, and will say, and you'll hear this, that, that proof or evidence is the opposite of faith. Have you ever heard that? Well, you know, if you start talking about proving things in the Bible, they'll say, well, I just have faith. Where did the Bible ever say that evidence is the opposite of faith? Right? It doesn't. Jesus required faith in him, yet it says that he demonstrated that he was alive for 40 days, giving them many convincing proofs. Right? Yet he still required faith. Faith and proof are not opposite. Right? Uh, so, so I want to look at a couple of scriptures. If somebody wants to look um, at Romans eight twenty four and twenty five, does someone want to read that? Romans eight twenty four and twenty five. And then, if somebody else wants to get Hebrews eleven one and two. So, Romans eight twenty four and twenty five, and Hebrews one and two, uh, eleven one and two. We were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. Why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Okay, so what is the opposite of hope? What is presented as the opposite of hope here? Okay, sight. All right, Hebrews 11, who has that? Okay, so faith is the evidence of what? Things not seen. So so faith is the opposite of sight as well. So that is going to start us on this time limit and identifying this time limit. And why faith and hope are not in the same category as love. Why does love... Why is love superior in this contrast of time? And, and what is the time limit for faith and hope? What, what's the time limit for faith and hope then by this? Okay, what, what's realized? Okay. Okay. Okay, so we're going to get into that. Faith and hope end when? Okay, when I see Christ, I have the sight. I don't need faith anymore. I don't need hope anymore. Those go out the window. I will still have love. Love is going to outlast faith and hope. Yeah. That's true. Or you have it's true. Or you have right. It is superior, in, and this is the, the the problem that we have with interpreting this is that elsewhere the scriptures do present love as superior in a qualitative sense. In other words, what's the greatest command? The greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, strength, and the second's like it too: love your neighbor as yourself. So, so in a quality sense, it's greater, but here the comparison is in time, not its uh, ability. Uh, both are true. 
but but we want to get specifically what he's saying because this is all within this context of of the miracles and that's where we're going to go to so faith and hope are temporary in nature uh, and when we see what we're hoping for which is heaven then we don't need we the necessity of faith and hope are there's, there's no sense in it why would I have what I don't need? Why would I keep it? What do we have this thing around here for? I don't know. Throw it away. That's, that's going to be the, the idea in heaven. I'm not going to be reading my scriptures in heaven. Why? Don't need it. There's no temptation. There's no moral perfection that I need. I've achieved it. I don't need this. It's going to be wonderful. I mean, not that I don't want to disregard this, but, but this is here for a reason. And once the reason is gone, I don't need this. So, um, so faith and hope have time limits. And so <clears throat> the placement of this comparison is significant. It's, this comparison is, is placed last. When you, if you're doing public speaking or uh, if you're teaching, anything you do, you kind of, the takeaway, you, you don't want to put your main takeaway first and people kind of forget it in the course of the discussion and then you finish up somewhere completely else you want to finish with you know you'll hear people say all the time listen if you don't get anything else out of this i've talked for an hour and a half and if you don't get anything else get this right that's their that's their takeaway and that's what paul's saying listen and this is a very complex section that he's 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 going through with with tongues and things like this and he's, listen if you don't get anything else Get the contrast of faith, hope, and love. Now abide faith, hope, and love. If you don't understand the miracles, okay. Get faith, hope, and love. That's the important thing. So, so he finishes up with that comparison. So we have love extending into eternity. We back up a little from there, and it, we go, okay, now there's a cutoff for faith and hope. Now, if we understand that contrast, there's yet another contrast because faith, hope, and love are, are going to be superior to the miracles in the context of time. So that is going to back us up further at some point in time here from where the apostles are speaking, he says, where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there's knowledge, it will vanish away. All right? So, so he's going to now be. That's the main. Uh, that that's that's the main topic here. That he's trying to establish. Uh, <clears throat> so, what are going to cease specifically? Tongues. Okay, okay. Any right? He mentions three, and and uh, I, I think it's important. He doesn't go through the whole list. Maybe he's just kind of, you know, he likes three: faith, hope, and love, and tongues, prophecy, and and things. When there's a lot of miracles, we could go. He doesn't say repeat the whole list. This just kind of encapsulates the list: prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. All right, that that's important. That he says that. What does he mean that knowledge will cease? 
Are, is there going to ever come a point in time in which cognitive function on this planet stops? I mean, sometimes you wonder if that's occurring, but... Okay. Like you said, this isn't going to be Okay, so spiritually speaking, at some point, maybe we look in heaven, but on this planet, is there going to come a point where there's no searching for knowledge? No. That's always going to be a part of it. Whether we reach correct conclusions, I don't know, but... But there's always that. So, so then what is he talking about knowledge? This is important. Because it's going to help place the rest of this. What kind of knowledge? Was there a gift that we were talking yeah. about a couple of weeks ago? Okay, yes. That, that it was like a supernatural okay. knowledge. Yes, that yep, that's, that's mentioned in that list. That's a part of that. So it's, a, it's the miraculous gift of knowledge that ability to know things without having studied them. And that ability to read people's minds. You were thinking this. You know. You did this. This is what you planned on doing. How did you know that? God just told me. <laughs> that, from where Paul writes, he says, there's going to come a point in time where that doesn't exist. And that's important because that places this discussion about supernatural things, that those supernatural gifts. So, then it's easier to understand. Now, the mention of prophecy, I want to skip over to prophecy. We're going to leave the other one out for just a second. Why is the mention of prophecy in this list important as things that are going to cease? To me, Prophecy has to come to an end because we don't have prophecy now. Okay. So then, it, to me, it puts it in the category of okay, these are things that are going to. This is not talking about eternity. We're okay. Talking about things that are going to come to an end now. Right. These are things that are going to, at some point on the earth, end. Um, and, and we'll see that in a second. But if these. Prophecy, another word for prophecy is inspiration. If prophecy is continuing, that means people are getting direct revelation from God and have been doing so for 2,000 years. That means we should have a very large Bible because we should always be adding to it. I mean, our, our Bible should have more books in it than the Hindu Vedas by now. If our Bible, if we accept that our Bible isn't growing, and we're good at Revelation, and we're done there, then we're acknowledging that prophecy has stopped. This is important because one of these, at least one of these, but certainly one of these, is not believed to have stopped by many people, which is what? Tongues. 
there's still, but it's a smaller group. It's a smaller group within those sa that same group. Right? There's the most of them will just like we like the tongue part. Uh, there are some fringe groups that that try to do more. I've even met a. I went to a church where a guy was an apostle. I visited one right next to the. It was like a, a, the other end of the block from the boys' dorm, so we went there. And uh, it's a church of eight people, you know. They're fringe groups. So uh, he was at least trying to be consistent. So so uh, so the time limit is stated. Knowledge and prophecy, we know, are in part. You notice he doesn't say we speak tongues in part. Why does he not include that one? He kind of, tongues are a little bit separate in this, but all under this one umbrella. But he says we know in part and we prophesy in part. He doesn't say we speak tongues in part or we speak languages in part. Why? What is the distinction between tongues and the other two? <laughs> okay, you can either speak a language or you can't. I don't know. I don't know how you. I mean, unless you're a little kid, you kind of baby speak. La language is different. Language is different from these. What do these other two have? What is the connection of these other two to each other? Okay. Okay, there's a completeness that's coming. What what do knowledge as he's talking about it? What kind of knowledge and what what does prophecy, what are these what do these have to do with? There's really no one to interpret them either. Yeah. The, the, these two specifically are spiritual, right? Knowledge. He's talking about. He's talking about divine knowledge, and he's talking about divine wisdom. Those are intrinsically spiritual. Tongues is just the ability to speak a language. Like you say, you speak it or you don't speak it. Uh, and, and so I think if you if you go back to that list, tongues is down here on the list. It's like first this, then this, then this, and then boom. Prophecy and knowledge were up here because they are spiritual. And so, so there's a distinction. So he's kind of talking about the top and the bottom. He's encapsulating the whole thing. And as far as Paul is concerned, tongues don't even rate in terms of significance. He's like, I desire that you do the greater things, really. You're spending all your time down here. Spend, try to spend some time up here if you could. And so he's going to give the time limit. He's going to state the time limit. And what is the time limit? You might not understand it. We'll get to it. But what is the time limit? When what? When that which is perfect is coming. Okay. When that which is perfect is coming. This is going to be a little complex. When you first think of perfect, what do you think of? Christ. Christ. Why? What does the word perfect mean to you? Without sin. That's the first thing in our language that perfect means. 
what is the nature of this entire thing is time. Perfect is not, it, it, within certain contexts, it can mean sinless, right? You know, he was perfect, and, and then it will talk about him being without sin, or without spot or blemish. So within those contexts, it is obviously referring to sinless nature of Christ. But that's not what the word intrinsically means. That's not its primary definition then. That's our primary definition because we've, we have a culture that's been influenced by Christianity. Perfect means complete. That's what it means. So if you're complete in a moral sense, then you're sinless. But anything can be complete. Anything can be perfected. Right? You can perfect a craft. And that kind of means it doesn't have anything to do with if you're sinless or not. It just has to do with you're a complete craftsman, you're a complete tradesman, or, or whatever. You've completed something, you've perfected it. So, um, so something perfect is going to come. And so those who want the gifts, or at least tongues, to continue will say, this is the time limit when Christ comes, because Christ is perfect, so therefore this is still valid. We've already established that there's two things that are going to end when Christ comes. Those are faith and hope. We've got to back up some point prior to that to find where the miraculous gifts, because there's a distinguishing. Love, faith and hope, and then the miraculous gifts. These are all degrees of comparison with relationship to time. Well, he gives um, some some con. What is the what is perfect contrasted with? And this is how this is another way we know that it's not talking about sinlessness. What is the first contrast really in verse verse nine? Perfect is contrasted with what? With the knowledge being incomplete. And incomplete. incomplete. Partial. So, so he says we know in part and we prophesy in part. So, so in other words, there's, it's, it's not referencing a completed, the perfect Christ coming. It's referencing a complete spiritual understanding. Prophecy and knowledge. He doesn't care about tongues. Tongues, yeah. That's kind of in there, but only because it's a part of the same gifts. Really, the time limit is when perfect knowledge and, and perfect prophecy arrive. When that's complete, then the partial is done away. Uh, the partial being the miraculous nature of it. So, <clears throat> to what then is this referring? Okay, which comes when? When did that come? Later on, he's going to get into maturity with two metaphors. What occurred? What perfect knowledge and what perfect prophecy 
has come after Paul, some point in time. Okay. So, so, so you have a church, and this is why it, it's called partial. I, Paul writes a letter. If you were in Corinth, you got two letters, maybe actually three. But you didn't have this book, and you didn't have this book, and you don't have that book. And some of them hadn't even been written yet. You haven't. You don't have John's yet. So, so it's partial. So. To make up for that, there are prophets. And, and as you need to answer questions about this moral thing or this spiritual question or this whatever, this doctrinal idea, you have a prophet or multiple prophets in your church who can answer your questions. It's partial. It's like a coach. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, it's it's like having a tutor or something like that. It, it, it's not ideal. This idea, oh, I wish we could go back to this period in time when it was had. I don't. Tell us how a long time ago when you read the scriptures, especially about the early church, you read it as a progression. Yeah. Because everything in the scriptures, the apostles and Christ want you to progress. Yeah. Spiritually. Throughout your lifetime here on earth, and physically, but mostly spiritually. Sure. And that's why it's a race. That's why he yeah. always looks at it as these things will start, but then they'll be done, and then you go on to something else. Mm-hmm. And you never look at the scriptures. Right. You never see a church that is a church right. that is, stays at the same level, same time. Right. And so it doesn't matter if it's a little tiny problem, it doesn't matter a big problem with the love, with the grace. It's all tied in with progressing through that time of your life and moving up spiritually. And that's the way God, the apostles wrote it, and that's the way it is. Yeah. We're so afraid that if we oh, we take this speaking in tongues out, we're taking something out of Scripture. Yeah. When you're not. It's right. just the time was done and it's over. With. Right. And that's what they dealt with, with going right. from Jew, the, you know, the Jewish faith to, to the New Testament. Correct. The whole thing was giving up the yeah. Old Covenant and coming into the New Covenant. Right. And it hasn't changed. It's still progressing as we go. We have different problems now as what they had right. back then. And you need to progress. All right, so we come to, with that, that brings us to kind of a couple of points that come together with that. Uh, that actually dovetails really well with this idea of, of maturity like you're talking about. He gives two metaphors to illustrate this and to try to, to close this out. And we'll try to get through them pretty fast. He says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. <coughs> When I became a man, I put away childish things. So this is that idea of maturity. Now, children aren't inferior to adults. He's not criticizing children. Okay. What is inferior? The child itself is not inferior. They're human beings. Their experiences, they haven't, they haven't had it. Their ability to do what? Their ability to reason. That is inferior. They don't, they don't, that's not developed. Their brains aren't completed yet. Right? They're still developing and, and all that, and that's not going to be done for some time. Uh, so, uh, so that is inferior. They, they are not developed to handle advanced thoughts. And this is, he's talking about the condition. Who, well, who is, who, is the, who is the infant in this metaphor? Not you. 
Okay, specifically, this is addressed to Corinthians, but the church at that point in time is an infant or a toddler. And this is this is weird to think of, but I have been preaching in Waukesha for like one fifth of the time that the entire church had existed at this point in time. Think of that. The entire church had only been around for about 30 years. They're toddlers. All this stuff is new. They don't have the ability to figure this out yet. You, you, we look back and go, oh, what a stupid church. What, what, what are you doing that? that? It was completely new. They had no idea what's going on. Right? We, we, Look at your two-year-old child, and, and he does something. What a stupid kid! Right? You don't. I mean, you don't. I mean, maybe you do, but most of the time we recognize they don't have the ability to know that. How in the world could they have figured that out? So, so the church was a a child. And so it needed extra help. So there's going to come a point in time where it doesn't need extra help. And so we're going to come to one of the most misused statements in the New Testament. We even have a song we sing. I don't sing it. We'll see my lips not moving. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Well, there's going to come a point in time where we are face-to-face -face with Christ our Savior, but unfortunately that's not what this verse is talking about. Because the metaphor is of what? Well, because earlier we were talking about the special time, Okay. all of a sudden we popped over to eternity. No, so we're not, we're not in heaven yet. We're still here. What, what is the metaphor? Verse 12. Okay. In what? What's the object? A mirror. A mirror. Who do I look at in a mirror? I look at me in a mirror. <laughs> I don't look at you in a mirror unless I'm sliding it over. And we do that with the Bible sometimes. I can read here and I can bounce it off and see what you're supposed to be doing. That's not really what a mirror is for. The mirror is used one other time in the New Testament as a metaphor. Where is that? Oh, you know it. James. A man who reads the word. It doesn't change. He's like a man who observes his natural face in the mirror and walks away without doing anything about it. He's just, yeah, boof. What? Nah, awful hair. Okay. <laughs> what are you doing? Fix your hair. It's the scriptures. That's the metaphor. I look at myself in the scriptures. So, he says, for now we see in a mirror, but dimly. But then we will see face to face. Why? What's the difference in this period of time? What's going to change? We're almost done. Knowledge 
All right. He says, then we will know as we were known. God knows you. Right? Hebrews talks about that. You're, everything is laid open and bare with him. Maybe he, he sees right down to the, right down, all the way down. Right now you see dimly. Prophets tell you, oh yeah, you guys need to fix this thing. Oh, you, this thing. But there's going to come a point in time where, where we have this. We can see us as God sees us. Like, look at this and, and we read from one end to the other. And we are as mature people where we can figure out what we look like without having somebody to tell us, you know, without, without mommy going. Right? You, you, you're a capable person. You're an adult now. You can fix what needs to be fixed by looking at a completed scriptures. And, and, and that growth, like, like, like Guy said, there's, there's all sorts of situations now that, that they didn't have. But you know what? The scriptures still handle those. We can still look at those, even though it was written 2,000 years ago. It's, it's complete. It is perfect. And it has everything you need to know. And you look at that and you go, man, I need to fix this. I need to work on this. I don't do this. Or I do this and I don't need to do this. Whatever the case may be, this is perfect. And so we no longer need all of those things that went along with the infant state of the church, the toddler state of the church that they were in. When that comes, the partial is done away. There's no more prophecy. There's no more inspiration. There's no more divine wisdom. I, I, I have to prepare my sermons. I don't get to get up there and just think it out. And wait for God to give me the divine message. And, and there's no need to speak miraculously in tongues, by the way. It's all done. It's all gone. That's, that's with the partial. And we live in the perfected state of the scriptures. So, all right, we're going to close there. I'm a little over.